You're listening to the Sunday morning service from Harvest Bible Church. We hope you enjoy this message from our guest speaker. To learn more about us, please visit harvestbibleonline.org. Reverend Marty Blackwood has been here before, but many years ago, most of you probably don't even remember him. Some of you do. That's why you came prepared. But, uh, you know... He's full of life. He's been in ministry many, many years, uh, was on staff at uh, uh, Kenneth Hagin Ministries uh, in, in ministering with, with, you know, Brother Hagin that was there, who's my spiritual father, his spiritual father. But he's been traveling the United States and just bringing a, an incredible word. And he's a teacher. He's, he's anointed uh, by the Spirit of God to bring life. And like I said, he's a little more excited than I am. And you all know how excited I get. So, so uh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and I really appreciate him. He comes from Georgia, Hallelujah. And we appreciate that too. But uh, he's blessed, and and I just want you to get ready to receive. There's great things in store. Amen. You know, I know this month we've had lots and lots of guest speakers, lots of things. It's just things that have happened. But you know, sometimes we can get in a rut. You just get to listen to me. You just get, you know, hey, you know. So you get to other people that come and do, and they can share a whole another perspective. And so we thank God for that. But I believe God's given them a word for our body. You know, he he was supposed to be the only person speaking this month. So he's the anointed one. No, I'm just kidding. Everybody else was. <laughs> We had some, I was, yeah, some other people vacation, so that's why there was things happened. Anyway, so I want you to give a warm Harvest Bible Church welcome to Reverend Marty Blanco. Brother Marty, come on. Thank you, Pastor. Praise the Lord. If you're happy and you know it, shout amen. amen. Man, it's good to be back. Thank you so much. Uh, make sure I'm up nice and strong out there so I'll just talk. Now, now, maybe some of you have seen my, um, some of those videos on YouTube. I can't get happy. I know how to run around a room. I know how to jump chairs. I was raised Southern Baptist, but I don't know what happened. Man, I got Pentecostal. But Anyway, you know, there's different moves of the Spirit, and I, I hope you won't be disappointed this morning, but, but I do have a special leading in my heart for our gathering today, and, and uh, we'll unfold that in just a moment. Uh, maybe a little bit different than you're in, anticipating, but it's going to be good nevertheless. Uh, we've got a product table out there. I know CDs are kind of uh, becoming more and more obsolete, but some of you still have it in your car, so if you do, uh, there's some CDs out there. Uh, this is called Over. Overcoming the Boundaries of Fear, uh, nice teaching, and this one is called Staying on the Winning Side, and if there's anything we need to do right now, we need to stay on the winning side. Got some great music. Uh, this is called Look What the Lord Has Done. Now, there is a disclaimer, please don't listen to while driving. Uh, you may get happy, take your hands off the wheel, you know. Uh, no, nah, just kidding. But it's got some good, good Holy Ghost music on it. Uh, we've got some instrumental music out there. Uh, one you'll hear at the end of the service in his presence. Uh, so uh, uh, you can make yourself available to that. Hey, guys, is it all right if I walk around just a little bit? Okay, so I might come off and, you know, I was talking to these guys, but, you know, it's hard to stand still. All right. So anyway, uh, yeah, I'll stay in the light. Praise God. Listen, I want to share some things this morning with you that I think you will find informative as a Christian, uh, hopefully encouraging, but also motivational. Uh, and we'll, we'll uh, endeavor to um, uh, give you some insight as we go. But the reason I want to share this here with you is because I can't share it everywhere. Uh, it wouldn't have the same significance that it would to you as a, a a people that understands your pastor's spiritual heritage uh, and some of your familiarity with certain ministers and ministries. And so uh, I, I want to share it here with you because I felt led uh, of the Holy Ghost to do it. So let's begin with the word and then we'll move into what I want to say to you. Uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 16 through 18. The apostle Paul, of course, writing, he said, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore frighten one another with these words. Is that what it says? <laughs> 
No, it says comfort, and that's why I love that song you sang. And then, of course, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, beginning in verse 51, once again, the apostle Paul writing, he said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. And when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then will be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? And then, of course, finally, in the words of Jesus himself over in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house were many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Man, we call these scriptures the blessed hope of every Christian. And uh, I personally believe in their imminent reality. You know, your pastor mentioned that I traveled uh, with a man named Kenneth E. Hagen for 11 years. The last 11 years of his life in ministry followed his ministry for over 30 years. If I were to say Kenneth E. Hagen, and I'm speaking of senior, how many of you would recognize that name? Let me see. Well, now I know why I'm led you know, to, I, I have a release to share it. So you're familiar with the man. You're familiar with the ministry. We do not magnify men. We magnify Jesus, but we do appreciate uh, the gifts that men carry, and we realize uh, that they are given to the church for our personal edification uh, and uh, the building up the body of Christ. So Brother Hagen, uh, as you know, was a prophet and a teacher. You say, are prophets uh, valid in this particular dispensation? Yes. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, uh, when Christ ascended, he gave gifts to men, some of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for uh, the the edifying of the body, or excuse me, for the uh, perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, and for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. So Brother Hagen, once again, uh, was a prophet and a teacher. Now, I want to give you a little background because it'll carry significance. Uh, Brother Hagen was born August the 20th, 1917. That's the same year that the Jews began to migrate back to the land of of Israel at following the British mandate of Palestine. So prior to his birth, uh, his mother uh, was having trouble with the pregnancy. You know, his father uh, would leave for weeks, days, weeks, months at a time. Uh, Brother Hagen came from a very dysfunctional family. You don't have to be from a perfect family to be mightily used of God. How many of you know that? <laughs> And so, uh, you know, finally he left for good. His mother's under uh, some stress because uh, they, they don't have adequate food and so forth. So she uh, had determined to go down to her mom and dad's, who was really, they were only a few blocks away. Uh, to get some food. She'd hesitated because they were against the marriage initially. And so her pride, you know, she kind of didn't want to go, but finally relented and went. And this was her testimony. She said, you know, it was a beautiful sunny August day. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. I made my way down the sidewalk to my mom and dad's house. And she said, uh, I heard what sounded like uh, the, 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 the breeze uh, blowing through the leaves of trees, and yet there were no trees in the immediate vicinity. She said, I, I, I kept walking and then I heard it again, this breeze blowing. And she said, in a moment uh, earlier, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. I looked up, now there's a single cloud suspended in the sky. And she said, in a moment's time, as I'm looking at that cloud, it began to descend rapidly. And in a moment of time, that cloud is before me on the sidewalk and Jesus stepped out of that cloud. And he said, fear not. The child shall be born, and he will bear witness concerning my second coming, and will have a part of the last great revival in the earth. And of course, she said quite naturally, it startled her. That's why I probably said, fear not, you know. 
And then he disappeared. She said she took off running to her mom's house. When she got there, her mom said, what in the world happened to you? You're white as a ghost. She recounted the story. She said, I never told it again, never mentioned it to anyone. In my day, if you said Jesus appeared to you uh, out of a cloud on the sidewalk and spoke to you, people would think you were crazy. So she said, never mentioned it again. And of course, later in a visitation of the Lord in Brother Hagin's life, he told him, I appeared to your mother before you were born. Uh, I, and spoke the words that he, that he, he uh, recounted, and he verified its validity. So I said that to, to you to say that most people are familiar with Kenneth E. Hagin's commission. If you're not, I'll give you the information, but uh, are familiar with the commission, go teach my people faith. You remember he was born prematurely. By the time he's 15 years old, he's completely bedfast with an incurable heart condition, blood condition, paralyzed from the waist down, supernaturally healed, raised up through a revelation of Mark 11, 23, and 24, and then he began to teach that for 70 years of ministry. But uh, many people are not familiar with a second commission and equally important, which was to bear witness concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ and to have a part of the last great revival in the earth. And that's what I want to talk to you about uh, this, this morning, uh, because Brother Hagin had two Two significant, well, three really, but I'm going to recount two of them that pertain to the the end times, the times that you and I are living in right now. And, and I think it's very important that we be informed. Just because he transitioned to heaven, there were certain things that he carried and delivered that I want to make sure you and I are knowledgeable of. Okay, so uh, the first vision is our vision scriptural, sure. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. In the last days, saith God, I'll pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. So, you know, visions are scriptural in this particular dispensation. Now, if you do have a dream and you don't want to be considered old, uh, just say it was a night vision, right? <laughs> so at any rate, he had two visions I want to recount to you. The first one was in Rockwall, Texas, 1950, September the 2nd. <clears throat> He's holding a tent meeting. Uh, he said it rained all day, kind of a slow, drizzling rain. Uh, not many people came, came out that evening, about 40 people uh, because of the rain and so forth. So he said, I gave a short Bible lesson. Uh, then I invited the people to come down to the altar to pray. He said, now, I never expected to happen. What did happen? Never asked for it, fasted for it in any way, shape, or form. But he said, I knelt down by a, a folding chair, and he said, I was just praying in the Spirit. And he said, all of a sudden, I heard uh, uh, someone say, come up here. Now, he said, I thought the kids were outside the tent pl uh, playing around, so I just kept praying. And then he said, I heard it again, come up here. So he said, I opened my eyes, and when I did, there was Jesus standing where the top of the tent pole should be. Now, this vision was multifaceted. I'm only going to share the parts that are pertinent to our discussion uh, this morning. I'll come back to the initial thing that happened later uh, in my talk with you. But uh, basically, in one facet of this vision... He was suspended in what appeared to him to be space because it was utter darkness, not a bird, a bush, vegetation of any kind. He said uh, the only thing that he could see was on the distant horizon what appeared to be a dot of light. And he said as he watched the light, it began to move toward him. And as it came closer, he could see very clearly that it was a horse. And then as it drew even closer, he could see clearly there was a rider on the horse. And as he drew near to him, he could see ultimately the rider was on the horse and he had a scroll uh, in his left hand and he was holding the reins of the horse in his right. And as he approached Brother Hagin, he came to a stop. He handed the scroll from his left hand to his right and said, open and read. Brother Hagin said this scroll was about 12 to 14 inches long. Uh, and on the top of the scroll were some things written, particularly where America is concerned. Concerned, uh, some, uh, as we would call, words of judgment if repentance wasn't given and that sort of thing, but that's not my point this morning. Right under it were these words in bold black letters four or five times The time of the end of all things is at hand. The time 
of the end of all things is at hand. Four or five uh, times in bold black letters. And then he said, Jesus turned to me and said, this is the last great revival. Now, I want you to remember these words, 1950. This is the last great revival in the days ahead. The church will begin to make tremendous advancements in the earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. All the gifts of the Spirit will be in manifestation and operation. This latter-day church will far exceed the impact and demonstrations of those that are recorded in the book of Acts. And then it was written on the scroll as it was in the days of Noah. So also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. As I finally spoke to Noah and said, In yet seven days I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and will destroy every living thing that I have created upon the face of the earth. Even now I'm speaking to this generation. And he told Brother Hagin, Warn this generation. Tell them the time they have left is comparable to the last seven days of Noah prior to the flood. Then he said, I'm preparing my people for my coming. Tell my people judgment will come upon the earth. I will take them out before the worst shall come. Praise God for that. Whenever that is, I'll take them out before the worst shall come. And then he said, he turned to me a second time and Jesus said to me, this is the last great revival. Now, most often when we think prophetically in our humanist, uh, human uh, capacity, we think days, weeks, months, years. God tends to deal in decades, centuries, millenniums, right? <laughs> So, uh, very significant, the time of the end of all things is at hand. So, that was the first vision. The second one was 12 years later. He was 33 years old at that time. The second one was 12 years later. He's 45 years old. He's in Houston, Texas, December the 12th. Once again, in a small group of people, amazing things can happen in small groups of people. And so, he's recounting the vision of 1950 where also, he was given the healing commission, which is not my point, but he was given the healing commission in that 1950 vision, and uh, he realized he had re- been reluctant to, uh, you know, uh, fulfill that ministry because of persecution. So he knelt down in front of the people to repent and to say he'd do a better job. And when he did, his, his knees hit the floor. Man, he's in a trance and he has a vision. Now, is that scriptural? Sure. Uh, Acts chapter 10, remember Peter goes up on the housetop and he falls into a, and he has a vision, right? So these things are scriptural. So Brother Hagin said all of a sudden, right before him, he walks up, there's a beautiful flower garden. He said uh, a garden that was surrounded by a white picket fence. I mean, he said the flowers on that fence were amazing. The aroma was nothing that you could ever put words to. He said as he approached the, uh, the garden, Jesus met him at the gate, opened the gate, took him by the hand, closed the gate, and he said we, there was a, a path that went down uh, the center of this garden uh, and we held hands and walked down the path and he said there was an arbor in the middle. Likewise, it was covered with uh, roses and flowers and once again, the aroma was absolutely uh, indescribable. And he said there were two white marble seats there. And so he said, Jesus sat down on one, motioned for me to sit down on the other. He said, I'd come in from the east so I'm looking toward the west and he said, I noticed this river. This is 1962. This river was flowing into this garden. And he said it was pouring tons of water into the garden. He said it actually uh, went up into the air. It was about 50 feet up and then it narrowed as it came into the garden and once again pouring tons of water. He said, I'm looking at this river and all of a sudden the river transforms into people. Millions of people. And he said they're dressed in every walk of life. I saw men in suits, uh, women in evening gowns, uh, uh, housewives, blue-collar workers. I saw people from different nationalities uh, and uh, nations of the world. And they were flowing into this garden uh, in an unprecedented number. And he said, I turned to the Lord and I said, Jesus, who are these people? Now, 1962, he said, these are those that I will visit now in these last days 
He said denominational churches, other religions, places that you never thought I would visit. I'm going to visit them. Wherever hearts are open to me, wherever there's a true hunger and desire for me, uh, whether they be denominational, other religions, wherever they are, I'm going to bring them into the fullness of salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they will drink of the river of God and they will move in the fullness of the Spirit. Now, that was 1962. I want to put this in perspective uh, for you because, uh, first of all, the first vision, this is the last great revival. Twelve years later, now here we go. I'm going to begin to visit hungry hearts in every denomination, every religion, wherever hearts are open to me, and I'm going to bring them into the fullness of salvation, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, uh, if you don't realize it or not, uh, maybe you, if you're young, you may not realize. But friends, in 1962, there were no harvest life churches or harvest churches. Abundant life, the living word, revolution church. Are you kidding me? None of that existed. There were only mainline denominational churches, and thank God for them, Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Wesleyan, Lutheran. Many of you probably had those associations. I was raised Southern Baptist, right? Uh, but then Jesus said, look, I'm going to begin to visit now. Hungry hearts in every denomination, every religion, wherever they are. I'm going to bring him into the fullness of salvation. Uh, you're sitting here today in this, in this building uh, as a result of one of the greatest outpourings of the Spirit of God that has ever hit the planet Earth. When I read those words, uh, this is the last great revival, I told my wife, I said, you know, I think perhaps, uh, you know, we're looking something in the future when in reality it's a, it's a past and present event. And so I began to do some research and man, you'll just be floored what has happened in the last 50 years in the body of Christ. Can I give you a few statistics? For example, on the continent of Africa in the 1960s, there were 400 million people on the entire continent. Out of that 400 million, only 10 million were Christian. Now, from the late 1960s, uh, a little over 50 years now to the present, there's 1.2 billion people on the continent of Africa, and over 500 uh, million of them are Christian. 50%. Every single day on the continent of Africa, 20,000 people give their lives to Christ. Reinhard Bonnke started preaching there in 1967, 50 million souls from his ministry alone, uh, and the largest majority also baptized with the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues. Glory to God. Are you with me? Uh, let's let's think about uh, China. Uh, in, in the 1950s, the communist regime, they expelled all the missionaries from China. Uh, they left behind one million uh, evangelical Christians and three million Catholics. From the 19, late 1960s forward now, uh, that one million is over 200 million, and those are just the ones we can count right? A large and vast majority of those believers now are not only born again, but baptized with the Holy Spirit. Every single day in China, 10 to 25,000 Chinese give their lives to Christ. And this is a cumulative report from various organizations reporting worldwide. And these statistics change rapidly. Uh, but tremendous things are, are happening. So we've got Africa, we've got China. India has 85 million believers. They're fifth in the world for Pentecost. Pentecostal Christianity, every single month in India, 100,000 Hindus give their life to Christ. And now, among tremendous persecution. And so, uh, you also have a little uh, country named uh, Nepal. Are you familiar with Nepal? Little Himalayan country. Prior to the 1960s, it was illegal to live in Nepal if you were a Christian. After 1965, there were 25 registered Christians. Now, uh, there there's uh, over a million converts in that little tiny Himalayan country. They have 75 districts. There's a church in every district. 
Uh, let me give you just a few more so you see what's happening on a global scale. Latin America, and I'm speaking of the whole of Latin America, in the 1960s, there were 18 million evangelicals in the whole of Latin America and 12.6 million Pentecostal denomination. And so now, in a little over 50 years, there's 480 million Are you listening? Evangelical, 70% of all of them baptized with the Holy Spirit, right? And I think around uh, 160 million of the Pentecostal denomination there as well. So tremendous things are happening. 35,000, they say, uh, on a daily basis in Latin America convert from some religion uh, to Christianity. Glory to God. Uh, And also, he said, I'm going to visit other religions Right? How many of you know that things are happening all around the world? Uh, there was a friend of mine who's a missionary. Uh, he sent me a, a, a link to Al Jazeera satellite television where there was an interview being conducted uh, from a Saudi cleric and a fellow a Muslim. And in this interview, and they had the subtitles and so forth, uh, the, the uh, interviewer said to the, the cleric, he said, uh, excuse me, the, the cleric said to the interviewer, there's a tragedy occurring in Islam. And he said, what's the tragedy? He said, 616 an hour, 16,000 a day, almost 6 million a year of our Muslims are converting to Christianity. He said, uh, you're, you're mistaken. You mean from every other religion in the world? He said, no, from, Christ, uh, from Islam to Christianity, almost 6 million a year. Woo! Iran is one of the top 10 persecutors uh, of Christians in the world. Uh, And every single month, 500 Iranians give their lives to Christ among great persecution. Did you know 70% of their population is 30 years old and younger? So those are young men and women that are giving their lives to Christ. Indonesia, one of the largest Muslim countries in the world, has some of the largest Christian congregations in the world. Every single year in Indonesia, a million converts to Christianity. Sudan, a million converts to Christianity in the last uh, 10 years. What am I saying to you, friends? I'm telling you, we've been in revival on a global scale for over 50 years. Uh, There are, what, eight 8 billion, almost 8 billion people on the planet. We're the largest religion in the world at 2.18 billion. We're the fastest growing religion in the world. We have far surpassed the impact of those that are uh, recorded in the book of Acts. Uh, I mean, people are baptized in the Holy Spirit and healed by the acre now in these mass crusades and coliseums. Uh, The largest number we see saved in the book of Acts at one time, 3,000, 6,000. That happens every 25 minutes. Minutes now, globally, when you lay your head down tonight and you open your eyes in the morning, there'll be 175,000 more Christians on the planet. The body of Christ is alive and well, globally speaking. Jesus said, This is the last great revival. And here we go. And in 1967, man, it started. And it hasn't stopped. We didn't know in the 60s that God was good and the devil was the problem. We didn't know that you had authority in Jesus' name, that by the stripes of Jesus you were healed, that you've been redeemed from the curse of the law, that God would meet your needs according to his riches and glory. Are you kidding me? All of those truths were revived in the body of Christ along with the baptism. And man, this church has been on the move ever since. And you know, even right here in America, all you hear is the bad news. May I tell you that Barner Research says 75% of Americans claim Christianity. Let's just say 225 million. They say 85. Let's just be conservative. 75, 225 million. And did you know that 51% of those also claim not only the new birth, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit? That's 112 million. This place is going to be a mess at the rapture. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Things are happening. Things are happening. So you say, well, Brother Marty, uh, that is awesome. What's the plan now? Can I tell you what the plan is? The plan is the same plan it's always been. God's plan is you and me. The sons and the daughters. The servants 
and the handmaidens. Born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, empowered with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, impacting people's lives supernaturally for the kingdom of God. I said this morning I wanted this to be informative, encouraging, but also uh, motivational because uh, we have a job to do. Can you say amen? amen? Ecclesiastes 3 and 1, notice the scripture says, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. One translation says, everything has its appointed hour. And guys, you and I have been appointed to this end time generation. I tell people the end times aren't happening to us. We're happening to the end times. And we've been appointed as this end time generation. And because of that, what we do, we must do quickly. We must do powerfully. We must do accurately. And it cannot be done in the arm of the flesh. It must be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Woo! So I'm all up for a grand finale. Right? I mean, we may have been in revival and we've seen different waves. We can have a grand, a grand finale. Right? Go out with great glory. I want to share one more thing with you uh, as far as a prophetic word uh, Brother Hagen gave. We were at a Holy Ghost meeting not too long before his departure, and he transitioned in 2003. But this word came forth, and he saw in vision and also articulated in word, and I want to share it with you because it's pertinent to where we are. He said, if it could be told you, if it were possible for you to look into the future and to see that which is coming, he said, your hearts would be glad. If you could look into the future and see that which is coming, he said, it would be difficult for some of you even to believe, but it shall come. The power of God in manifestation shall come. As Elijah said, I uh, hear the sound of the abundance of rain. First, he said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand rising out over the sea. Brother Hagin said, I see a cloud. It's arising on the horizon of time, and I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Glory to God. The rain is coming. The latter rain falling upon his saints, falling upon good ground. And when that spirit manifests himself, all those around will be blessed. Not only will you be blessed and your family be blessed and your neighbor be blessed, but everyone you come in contact with will be blessed. Then he went on to say these words. Now, sit and say, let's see it come. And when it comes, I'll rejoice and nothing will happen. But arise. Walk in the light. Arise. Leap into the realm of the spirit. Into the depth of the spirit, not the shallows to wade in, but the depths to swim in. And the rain will come and the glory will fall and the healings will be in greater manifestation and the miracles will be in greater manifestation and your hearts will be glad. Wow. What a word. But what a motivator. Sit and say, let's see it come and nothing will happen. Now, friends, why would that be a reality? Because you and I are the body of Christ. The purposes of the head, even in the natural, the purposes of the head are always contingent upon the cooperation of the body. It doesn't make any difference in the natural how much my head wants to walk over to Pastor Mark. If this body isn't carrying the head, the head's not going anywhere. And Colossians 1.18, what does it tell us? It says Christ is the head of the body, right? So we're, we're the body, he's the head, and once again, the purposes of the head are contingent upon the cooperation of the body. And guess what? If that is a reality, which, is, which it is, then a further reality holds true. And this is where we come in. I cannot, and you cannot, participate in things that we do not perceive. 
And I cannot perceive the leadings of the Spirit unless I am living and walking in the Spirit. If there was ever a day where we need to walk and live in the Spirit, it is now. Now, when I say walking and living in the Spirit, I'm not talking about walking around in some kind of trance, right? Being weird. I'm talking about a place that we occupy in God through the communion of the Holy Spirit where we see things and we know things and we perceive things that we would not know or see or perceive otherwise. You remember the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, he made this statement. Uh, He's on the Isle of Patmos. He's caught up in the Spirit. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And as a result, he said, I saw things. I heard things that I would not have seen or heard otherwise. Are you with me? Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, verse 9, we'll begin in verse 9. He said, I, naturalized, has not seen Ear hath not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him, but he has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knows no man, save the Spirit of God. Now we've received not the Spirit which is of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things freely given to us of God. Now look at verse 14. For the natural man, that's an unregenerate, unborn-again man, the natural man receives not... The things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. One translation says the natural man perceives not, right? So I got a question for you. If a natural, unregenerate person cannot perceive the things of the Spirit, can a carnal, flesh-ruled, although born-again Christian perceive the things of the Spirit? Probably not as readily. Are you listening? So what we're saying is we need to optimize our spiritual sensitivity and start living and walking in the Spirit because we've got places to go. We've got things to do. We've got people to see. And we need to be able to discern the leadings of the Spirit so that He can direct us in all avenues of life. I want you to look in Acts 14, verses 8 through 10. Man, you guys listen so good. Hallelujah. I can tell you're a mature bunch. Really. It's when you're ministering, you can tell the climate of a church. Congratulations. (laughs) Acts 14, 8 through 10. That speaks highly of your leadership. There sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb. Of course, Paul is teaching here. Who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak. Now watch Paul. Who steadfastly beholding him and somebody tell me? Perceiving. One translation says looking into his eyes and seeing. That he had faith to be healed. Said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped and he walked. Now notice the perception preceded the demonstration. He looked, he saw what he perceived. How? By the Spirit. And a miracle uh, was forthcoming. I am convinced that sometimes the most effective ministry is that which is led by, empowered, and directed by uh, the Holy Spirit. We always have the Word, but these are days of supernatural. Woo, hallelujah. God wants your lives and my life to be an adventure in Christ. This is the way Christ uh, operated. Uh, John chapter 5 and verse 19, look what Jesus said. These are his words. Jesus answered and said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the Father do, for what things soever he does, uh, the Son does in like manner. 
Uh, you'll have to forgive me about the King James has been in me so many years. If I, I tried to switch, but man, I try to quote scripture. I got all messed up. So t- I just kind of go back to it. But notice he said, this is Jesus. He said, look, everything I do, I do it because I see the father do it first. Everything I say, I, I hear him say, I am living my life. I'm executing my ministry in direct response to the father's leading through the person of the Holy Spirit. And he had tremendous impact. This is our example. Thank God for the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers. But friends, this is the time of the body of Christ. The sons, the daughters, the servants, and the handmaidens. Woo! This is our season. So, the, the first part of the vision that I did not share with you in 1950 when he got up and the, and the, the Lord said, come up here. And he said he opened his eyes and there was Jesus standing where the top of the tent pole should be. But because he was in the spirit, all the natural things had disappeared. And he said the very first thing was Jesus was holding this crown. He said the jewels in this crown were absolutely beyond description. He said it was the most beautiful crown I'd ever seen. And so he said, Jesus, what is that crown? Jesus said, this is uh, the soul winner's crown. And he said, it's for every one of my children, but I say to this one, go here, speak to that one. To another, go here, minister to that one. And he said, "My, my people are so preoccupied They're so busy, so insensitive that they miss their divine cues. And as a result, souls are lost and people go unministered to. So I would say uh, that we have a responsibility, wouldn't you? God, if you take anything out of this room this morning, I'm speaking this to you by the Spirit of God this morning because you have a spiritual heritage here. You have a certain uh, uh, background that is equipping uh, to do your job in the last days. And God wants to impact this community through this church, as he has, but even uh, more as we approach the day. Amen. So... You know, um, my sister, you mind if I tell you a story? Thank you. My, could you take that top off for me, Pastor? Oh, there, there's one. Okay. Don't mean to distract. Just stay with me. All right. Praise God. Thank you. It's kind of dry out here in California. <clears throat> I'm from the humidity in the south, you know. So, you know, uh, just, just to let you know, this is real life. It's not just something written on pages or a little message. This is life. My sister, uh, she's not a Bible school graduate. She doesn't have an arsenal of Bible verses at her disposal, but here's what she does. She loves the Lord. She's born again. She's filled with the Spirit. If she's vacuuming or washing dishes or whatever she's doing, uh, she's... Uh, Spending time. I love you, Jesus. I worship you, oh God. Praise your name. Works of business, stays in fellowship. And, and you maintain your sensitivity that way. She has the most extraordinary uh, events. It's like a book, you know. But one, she said, I was going down to uh, make a deposit at the bank. I had not put on any makeup, wasn't intending on going in anywhere. You know, Southern girls, they like their makeup, you know. So she said, I'm driving down the road. I always drive to, to the bank. And, and she said, there's, a, um, there's an antique store on the left. And uh, uh, I pass it all the time. But as I passed it, I had a sense that I should go in. Now, now, now not a vision, not a voice, a perception, a sense, a, 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 an inward drawing. She said, but I kept driving because I didn't have any makeup on. She said, but the, <laughs> but she said, the further I went, the more grieved I became. And I knew God was pulling me into that place. So she said, I went in. I had no idea why I was there. Uh, just looking at antiques. And she said, in a moment, I saw a gentleman and a woman over in, uh, in the distance. They were speaking to one another. And she said, uh, Marty, when I saw that woman, I knew, see, perception, Paul seeing and perceiving, I knew that was my, uh, my divine target. So she said, I went over to her and, and she said to the couple, she said, excuse me, I don't think they were married. They were just talking. She said, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt uh, your conversation. She said, but uh, I'm here on assignment from Almighty God. 
Now, my sister's bold. If she knows, she's bold. And she said, Bubba, I didn't even know what the assignment was. But you take a step and he takes one. And so I'm on assignment from Almighty God. And she said, when she spoke those words, that woman began to weep and she began to tell her story. And she said, you know, when I was young, my, my family life was not a good one day, but they let me go to Sunday school with my neighbor. And I can remember singing, Jesus loves me. And they asked if I wanted to ask Jesus in my heart. And I said, yes. She said, but I've lived a rough road, you know. I've backslidden. I don't have a church. I don't have a pastor. Uh, and she said, but I, I suppose the worst thing that is facing me at this moment is that I've been diagnosed with cancer seven places in my body. And she said, I, I've been crying. They give me no hope. And so I've been crying out to God that he would heal me and, and restore my relationship with him. And my sister said, well, that's why I'm here. (laughs) Apostle or prophet? No, handmaiden. (laughs) So she just shared a couple of verses she knew. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. Comforted her in that reality that he is welcoming her right back. And uh, then she said, you know, she weeped a little bit and just, you know, held her. And and then she said, now let me pray for you, for your healing. They shall lay hands on the sick. They shall recover, you know, those that believe. And, and, and once again, now she's not on her own. She's been sent there. Are you listening? (laughs) So she said, she just laid hands on her right there in the antique store. And no big scene. She just said, in the name of Jesus. And she said, I don't know why I said these words, but that's what I said. In the name of Jesus, I command the spirit of fear and death to come out of you. Now, sometimes there's spirits of infirmity associated with sickness and disease. Not always. But in that case, it must have been the case. So, you know, she prayed for it, prayed for her healing, gave her a big old hug. The woman's crying. Assignment completed. Right? So she's going to leave. So the lady said, could I take your picture uh, with my cell phone and get your number? She said, sure. Well, you know the end of the story. I don't know, maybe a month and a half, two months later, my sister got a call. She said, do you remember me uh, in, in the antique? Oh, yeah, I remember. She said, I wanted to call and tell you something. I got to feeling so much better. I went back to the doctors. I asked them, please run tests. They said, there's no need. She said, please. And so they ran the test and they came back and they said, well, we can't explain it, but there's no cancer anywhere in your body. (laughs) Not only born again, right, but also uh, are restored, but healed. I had a Jehovah's Witness. Well, two of them actually come to my front door. You got the trainer, you got the trainer and the trainee, right? So the trainee, you know, he's there. He's a young guy. He's trying to, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he's trying to go through his little spiel and, and uh, he can't find his scriptures. So I'm trying to help him, you know, <laughs> find his scriptures. He's trying to do something. You know what I mean? So I'm, by, I'm being kind and cordial to him. Well, I noticed uh, as he's talking, he's holding the side of his face, grimacing in pain a couple of times. So I finally said, hey, I said, hey, man, what, what's wrong with you? He said, I'm sorry, I, I got a, a, a lot of pain. I, I, I think maybe I have an abscessed tooth or something. Well, when he said that, I got a cue. And I said, hey, can I make you a deal? He said, well, I guess so. I said, now I've listened with kindness and courtesy to all you've shared. I said, but now I'm a born-again Christian, baptized with the Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. There's no other name given among men whereby men must be saved. And I said, and if if what I share with you, may I share with you the way to salvation as I see it from the scripture? And if what I share with you is accurate or reality, that same Jesus will heal you instantly. Now, I'm not on my own. I got a cue. Right? He said, deal. Deal. Now, the trainer wasn't as excited, but he was because he's in pain. So I shared with him what you and I would call the Roman road or, you know, the, the four spiritual laws real quick. And then I said, now, now, can I pray for you? He said, well, sure. So I put my hand on the side of his face. Sorry for the cold hand, warm heart. And, uh, and I said, and, 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 you know, we're on the front porch. I didn't go, whoa. 
like to do that. I run around sometime. But that's not the time and place, right? <laughs> it's not in the commotion. It's in the name. So I just said in the name of Jesus, the name above every name, the name whereby men must, I wanted to get it all in, must be saved. Went through the whole thing. That name be healed. God is my witness. His eyes got big as saucers. And he said, it's gone. It's gone. And the trainer grabbed him and ran off. I was chasing him down the side. Well, wait a minute. Now we got to close the deal. Praise God. How many of you know Jesus will heal people before they're saved? Absolutely. It's advertisement. I took a drunk by the hand one night. God's my witness. I said, nah. well, first of all, before I took his hand, I said, hey, don't you know God loves you? He said, I know it. I said, Jesus doesn't want you to live like this. I know it. He'd obviously been a born-again Christian, you know, early and backslidden. People are hurting in this world. Man, I just took him in my arms. Don't ever be the great somebody. Love everybody. And I just took him in my arms, and I said, God loves you, you know, and he wants you to be restored in your fellowship. Well, I said, let me pray with you. Well, I took his hand. I didn't expect anything to happen. I just took his hand. And when I took his hand, the anointing went in him and instantly evaporated all the alcohol out of his blood. And he cussed. He said, D. He said, I'm sober. (laughs) I said, I know you are. God wants you to pay attention to what I'm telling you. Woo. Amen. Friends, this is real. This is real. God wants to use every person in this room to impact people's lives. So, listen, if we're going to participate, right, in the leadings of the Spirit, we have to be able to perceive them. And if I'm going to perceive the leadings of the Spirit, I've got to walk and live in the Spirit. And if I'm going to walk and live in the Spirit, guess what? I've got to stay filled with the Spirit. And can I submit to you this morning, not preaching at you, but for all of us, if we're going to stay filled with the Spirit, we need to incorporate into our lives on a consistent basis certain spiritual exercise that nurture or cultivate a life in the Spirit. And one of those, I'm not saying the only one, but I'm saying one of them uh, would to be uh, to pray more earnestly and consistently in the Spirit. Everybody say in the spirit. Can you hang with me five more minutes? Who will give me five? Five, 10, 15, 20, 25. All right. Hey, only got one shot at you. I'm hurrying. I'm hurrying. But we need to walk more in the spirit. And and if we're going to do that, we have to stay filled with the spirit. And one way that we can do that is to pray more earnestly in the spirit. Now, Now, we can become so familiar with things, we cease to value them as we should. What does it mean to pray in the spirit? We let the Bible interpret the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. He who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. Albeit no man under, or excuse me, uh, for no man understands. How be it in the Spirit? He speaks mysteries. So Paul equates praying in the Spirit with praying in that supernatural language that accompanies the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which you see in the book of Acts, Acts 10, uh, 2, 10, and 19. Uh, so praying in the Spirit is very beneficial. Notice uh, Brother Hagen used to tell us uh, this. He said, there's two ways you can get in the Spirit. He said, one, the Spirit just puts you there instantly, like the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. He said, the second way is you can pray long enough in the Spirit until you pray into a place where you see things and you know things and you perceive things that you would not see or know or perceive otherwise. I know you're well taught. Just a few more scriptures. 1 Corinthians 14. Verses 14 and 15. Notice what Paul said. If I pray in an unknown tongue, what's happening? My spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I'll pray with the spirit 
And I'll pray with the understanding also. I'll sing with the spirit. I'll sing with the understanding also. How many of you know your spirit being? You're encased in a physiological body. Paul said you're going to be most benefited and positioned as a Christian if you'll learn to pray in both dimensions, in the natural and in the supernatural, in the spirit and also with your intellect, right? There's tremendous benefit. Uh, Is it beneficial? Absolutely. The apostle Paul highly recommended it. First Corinthians 14, here we are, 18 and 19. What did he say? I thank my God. I speak in tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding uh, that, that others may be, you know, taught or benefited and then 10,000 in an unknown tongue, Right? So if, you know, he's thanking God for the blessing and the benefit of prayer in the spirit, but he's also clarifying its place and its use. He said, man, I speak in in the spirit and in other tongues more than all of you, but it's not in the church. Then where is it? Huh? In his personal, private, devotional life. I am, I'm convinced Paul prayed excessively in the spirit and it was tremendously beneficial. He wrote two thirds of the New Testament by revelation, had tremendous signs, wonders, and miracles. Let me give you a few quotes. Howard Carter, the founder of the first Pentecostal Bible college in Great Britain. He said, speaking in tongues is not just to be the initial evidence of being filled with the Spirit, but it is to be a continual source of infilling throughout one's life, a flowing stream that never runs dry. Smith Wigglesworth, how many of you know Smith Wigglesworth, mighty man of God, he said, look, he said, it's a luxury to be filled with the Spirit, but it's also a divine command Not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. He said, no Pentecostal person, and I guess they use that term meaning Spirit-filled, but should get out of bed in the morning without first getting lost in the Spirit, speaking to himself in other tongues. He said, I maintain the opinion if one would be continually filled with the Spirit, he will speak in the Spirit morning, noon, and night. Are you with me? Once again, not being goofy and weird, just being practical Christian, right? Exercising our spiritual uh, uh, exercises and uh, utilizing them. I'm going to give you one more. John G. Lake. John G. Lake, powerful man of God, apostle to the continent of Africa, tremendous healing ministry here. He said, I want to speak to you with the utmost frankness concerning this particular language of tongues, which I speak mostly in the nighttime, he said, for I found it to be not only the source of power that I operate in on a daily basis, but also an invaluable source of revelation knowledge that I preach to people every day. There's something about praying in the spirit that elevates your spiritual consciousness and awareness, not only to revelation of the word, but also to the divine cues of the Holy Spirit. So is it a source of power? Is it a source of revelation? If that's true, we should be able to substantiate that from the scripture. And notice 1 Corinthians 14 and 4. What did he say? He who speaks in an unknown tongue does what? Now we quote that, but it's powerful. He who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. The Knox translation says strengthens his own faith. The Beck translation says encourages himself. And this is my favorite, the Webster. He who speaks in an unknown tongue uh, strengthens or receives an uplifting and strengthening influence. Woo! What is that? The Holy Spirit of God. Hallelujah. How many of you are going to strengthen yourself a little more? Woo! You know these. I said one more. Can I give you one more? Jude verse 20. Jude verse 20. Beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Listen at the New English Bible. It says, fortify yourself. Strengthen yourself. Watch this. Sustain yourself. Praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. Look, you got a tremendous... Uh, heritage here. 
You're men and women of faith. You're men and women of the Spirit. God needs you now. He needs all of us, not to just come and sit on the pew, but when we walk out to start listening. Is there someone you want me to speak to? Someone you want me to minister to? I'm listening. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Harvest Bible Church in Stockton, California. If you live in the area, we would love to have you join us at one of our services on Sundays and Wednesdays. You can check us out at harvestbibleonline.org for location and times. We hope to see you soon.